Friends, turn tonight to this chapter in Second Chronicles, chapter 13. <clears throat> Let us read verse 14. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And they cried unto the Lord. And the priest sounded the trumpet. Then the men of Judah gave a shout. As the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. <clears throat> Here, friends, we have one of the notable victories of the kingdom of Judah. Under a man who feared God. <clears throat> and it's remarkable because of a battlefield sermon. We have here tonight a battlefield sermon. Perhaps you've heard of sermons being preached in remarkable places. But was there ever such an occasion when such a sermon was uh, preached and with such glorious? Effect. <clears throat> yeah, but the situation, of course, is a, a very sad collision between people of the chosen nation of Israel, which had become divided during the time of Abijah's grandfather after. <clears throat> Uh, after Solomon died, the kingdom had divided, and uh, eventually Abijah had become king. And uh, so it is, friends, sadly, in the history of God's people that there are divisions. And we're part of a division ourselves, aren't we? It's like 23 years since we <clears throat> were divided from our brethren and are now a small part of the original church. And perhaps as the years pass, there may be some people that think, well, is it worth going on? What are we here for? What are we standing for these days that requires us to stand distinct and separate from our brethren? <clears throat> not only in the free church, but in other churches. And if we can't find a good reason, then we have no right to exist, have we? So what do you say when you meet people that raise that subject? Many a person, if you ask in the town, will say, well, oh, that continuing, they're just... People that use the old language, the these and those, the old version authorized version, and that's all they know about us. But friends, that's not enough. That's not enough to stand for. There must be something deeper than that that requires us to stand where we are and not just wander along and join another church. What should keep us here together? Well, I think in some ways Abijah will give us some guidance 
on this matter. I'm not saying that we should align ourselves all together with Abijah. He wasn't um, he wasn't perfect by any means. In fact, uh, if we read about him in Kings, he's not even got that name. He's called Abijam, which means is something different. It means a father of light. But Abijah, the name given to him in Chronicles, means the Lord is my father. What an amazing name. The Lord is my father. This was the name given to him by his mother, Micaiah. And uh, on this occasion, he fully honors his name. And that's perhaps what we can concentrate on. This man only reigned for three years. He was only allowed that brief period to reign over Judah, over the people of God. But here is the highlight that sets him apart in the history of God's people. You know, if you look through the kings of uh, Judah, especially, you'll find that each one has a special mission that he fulfills. If you look at Jehoshaphat, for instance, you'll discover that he was a man who brought godly education uh, to his nation and took careful and diligent organization to implant education among his people. If you look at Isaiah, you see a king that brought great trade into the nation. Uh, he had great business powers and he developed industry from end to end of the nation, agriculture, manufacturing, military, weaponry, and buildings. And so you can look through these different men and see what they were appointed to do as lessons to us on what a godly nation and a godly ruler should do. So here we, tonight we look at Abijah, a man who had to take his stand in distinction from those who wanted to swallow him up and wipe out his testimony. So let's see if it compares in any way with our own stand and reassure yourself or convince yourself under the truth of where we stand today. The first thing we can look at tonight is <clears throat> a, a deserved reproach. A deserved reproach. We may receive reproach, friends. We may be despised. You may, we may hear, see our things said about us. And we say, do we really deserve that characterization? Is that a true image of us? Well, Abijah brought a deserved reproach against these followers of Jeroboam. 
He said this. He says in verse 5, you should know. Ought you not to know? It doesn't look as if you know that the Lord God of Israel gave the king over, kingdom over to Israel, to David forever. Ought you not to know? He is reproaching them. He said, surely you should know this. Sadly, that's the case with many churches today. They ought to know. They ought to know that women should not be in office, but they just go ahead and do it. They ought to know that there should not be same-sex marriage, that it's a contradiction of the creation order, but they just go ahead. Ought you not to know? Friends, that's a role that we have as a church. We have to go around those who claim to be Christian and say, Ought you not to know? You should be ashamed of yourselves. You should know. And that's a mission that Abijah had from the Lord, to bring a deserved reproach against those who had forsaken <clears throat> the right way. There's three ways they'd done this. He said, ought you not to know that the Lord <clears throat> gave the kingdom over to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? You see, I've never heard of that. A covenant of salt. Well, what he means by this, and it was used in sacrifices, salt was used as a symbol of <clears throat> permanence. A permanent covenant. Jeroboam's treating Maybe he'd heard of the covenant with David, but he said, oh, that's for David. That's gone down the road. Isn't that a popular thing today? He said, we're living in a new age. We don't need to abide by these old-fashioned covenanters, these old-fashioned <clears throat> men like Chalmers and Cunningham. No. And I just says, you ought to know that we're abiding by the covenant, the permanent covenant. It's a covenant of grace, and without grace, you have no standing before God. You're under his judgment. Friends, let us be sure we stand with the men of the covenant that stood against popery and encroachments of anything into the headship of Christ. In the church, a covenant of salt. Friends, we're abiding. We're here because we believe in our permanent obligation to stand <clears throat> by the confession of faith, enshrining the doctrines on which a church stands or falls. A covenant of salt. You ought to know. You ought to know that it's the kingdom of the Lord. He says in verse 8, <clears throat> and now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord. You know what you're doing? What you're doing is contrary to the very rule and authority of King Jesus. How can you justify that? That's my reproach against you. Isn't that worth standing for, friends? Isn't it worth standing for the honor of Jesus? For his majestic 
command over his church to rule them according to his righteous judgment and according to his great mercy. Now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord. Friends, if we're standing where Christ stands, we don't need to regard the reproaches of people. They're not reproaching us. They're reproaching the Lord. If we're standing where Paul stood and where Calvin stood and where Rutherford stood, friends, they are reproaching the Lord, for these are men that were faithful unto death. Do you not know that you withstand the kingdom of the Lord? People think, yes, no, we can do it our own way today. We don't need to regard these old rules of Sam's only and things like that. You withstand the Lord. You ought to know the duties of the Levites. What is Elijah talking about here? Why does he include this? He says in verse 10, but as for us, the Lord is our God. We have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron. And the Levites wait upon their business. Abijah says this is important. What the, de- what the Old Testament deacons were doing. You know, friends, this is something that we have to get right. That our deacons are doing their business. It's not just a matter of counting the collection. It's a matter of... Compassion. Remember how when the widows were in need in a, uh, during the time of the apostles, that the apostles were there to preach the gospel, but they were being called to look after uh, the needs of the widows. And they said, no, we are not here to serve tables. We'll choose other men. And they inducted deacons to care. A ministry of compassion. And Abijah is concerned that that be preserved. He says, great to have our doctrine right and to have our preaching right. But if we're not demonstrating the love of Christ towards those in need, where is our testimony? It's just talk. Jesus was mighty in word and deed. And we must be doing something, friends. It's the mark of a true church. But it has compassion for those in need. Am I not right? So what are we doing? The duties of the Levites is part of our testimony. You ought to know, he says. And in the second place, he says this. He moves on from the undeserved reproach. And he talks about their false presumption. This is the danger of churches that are failing. They they assume that they're pleasing God, but they haven't made sure. They haven't gone back to Scripture to convince themselves and assure themselves that they're doing what God requires. He says, now do you think, in verse 8, And now you think, you think, is that what counts? Just what you think? 
Have you not realized, do you not realize it's what God thinks and what Christ requires? For instance, he says, you think that your great number is enough. Excuse me. You've got the majority on your side. Friends, we're not here because of our numbers, are we? No, we can be reduced like, like Gideon to small, insignificant numbers. But if God is with us, if we're pleasing our master, the numbers don't count. You think that your great number is enough. You be a great multitude. That's not what counts, he says, Abijah, fearlessly challenging these men. What a congregation he had. 800,000 fighting soldiers. Imagine presenting the gospel to 800,000 at once. And he's bringing the truth to every conscience before him. <clears throat> your great number, you think your great number is enough. You think that your golden calves are enough. You have a great multitude and there are with you golden calves. The latest variety of worship. Oh, they must be right. They're completely up to date. This is the fashion. Get some gold, make an image, and you're all set. We'll just be like the Babylonians. We'll be like the Egyptians. We'll be like the Greeks. We've got it right. No. Your gold calves are not enough to give you victory. We sang in Psalm 115. Mouths have they, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. As I think I said in a previous occasion, people are trusting now in computers. They've got a screen. They've got a voice. They can respond. They can answer you. Friends, the computers are the gods of 2022 and 23. And they say, they will tell us what the climate will be in 50 years' time. Rubbish. They're dumb idols. We've got the golden calves with us. It's bound to get the victory. But these gold calves were man-made, man-designed by this rebel king, Jeroboam. And time was to tell. And so even in the churches today, we find all kinds of images being used in the worship. Is that enough to please God? No. And now you do think that your grasping priests are enough. Anyone can be a priest now. And he goes into the details here. He says, and whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. He says, look, the whole system is worthless. It's a do-it-yourself religion. You can say to the Leaders, I want to be priests. And they said, well, what are you going to give us? Have you got enough money for the job? 
and they pay over. You can be a woman, you can be a homosexual, you can be transgender. No, no worry. No worry, you've got your degree, you've got your B, you've got your Bachelor of Divinity, so you can just walk in. What does Abijah say? Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron? We know churches that have cast out godly men, don't we? Now you think, false presumption. They came there with great confidence. We're just going to walk over these people of Judah. We've got it all together. But put it all together. Is it enough? No. Not with God, because God was not on their side. Then thirdly, friends. A legitimate claim. Abijah goes on with his sermon. Verse 10, he says, But as for us, the Lord is our God. That's all he's got. He says, that's all we've got. We don't have the majority. We don't have any idols. We don't have multiple priests. But the Lord is our God. And we have not forsaken him. Can you say that tonight, friend? Can you say that? That's the key to it all. But how do you prove it? Is that an empty boast? Lots of people will say that. But it can be an empty boast. Listen to how Elijah establishes, Abijah establishes his integrity of his confession. A legitimate claim. Why? Because of the daily worship. Verse 11. And the priests burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening. Burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. Abijah is trusting in these things. Because... This is what the Lord ordained. We're following exactly what God gave to Moses. Are we doing that, friends? Did you have your family worship this morning? Will you have your family worship when you go home tonight and tomorrow and the next day? Friends, that was the key to godliness in Lewis and days past. And you could go through any village and you would hear the Gallic psalm being sung every evening before they went to rest. Are you singing the psalms in your home every morning, every evening? A sweet incense to the Lord. We have the daily worship. And friends, also this. We have the descendants of Aaron. Daily worship, descendants of Aaron. Verse 10. 
and the priests which minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron. Why? Why? Because this was the chosen ordinance of God, that it be confined to these and these only. And so it must be for us, friends. We must make sure that our ministers, our elders, our office bearers, our men that evidence that they are chosen of God. Well, of course, we don't have a succession, a bloodline of Levitical priests. No, that has gone with the Old Testament, but still there is an order for us. We are kings and priests unto God. Yes, and those who bear office must be according to what God has prescribed. <clears throat> because, why should it be so? Because every man who is in this position is representing Christ. What is at stake? It is the authority and headship of Jesus. He has ordained apostles and elders and teachers and evangelists, as it says in Ephesians. Yes, he has appointed. And so when we do these things, as scripture says, we are acknowledging Christ as our head. We are giving Christ the honor. That's what every office bearer must do. That's what we must honor them as representing the master. Yes, Christ is in it all. We have not forsaken the descendants of Aaron. And when you seek a new pastor to come over, we don't want anyone here unless he is chosen by Christ. And that's why we must seek earnestly, Lord. Who have you chosen? Nobody else but your choice must come here. The descendant of Aaron. Thirdly, we have not forsaken the dedicated bread. The daily worship, the descendants of Aaron, the dedicated bread, it says here. And they burn unto the Lord every morning and evening. A sweet incense, the showbread also, set in order upon the pure table. Here is a man ready to fight a battle, and he's talking about bread on a table. You see, where has he got to? Does he know what he's talking about? What's that got to do with winning a battle? Ah, friends, this was a spiritual battle. This was a battle for the honor of of the son of David, of the Messianic covenant. And it included this vital provision. The daily showbread must be on the table. Why? Because it represented. We know fine that it represented Christ. And they were given it as a token in the Old Testament of the bread of life. And that bread of life was not only for consumption, it was to be presented to God. Just as our blessed Savior 
who said that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. He offers that broken body there in heaven, for there they saw the lamb as it had been slain on the throne. No wonder Abijah said, you've deserted the bread, you've deserted Christ. And so we must have our bread and we must have our sacrament preserved, pure and intact and uh, scriptural in every detail because by this means we remember the Lord's death until he come. And so Badger says, we must have our bread. We must display our food, our spiritual food comes from above. We have not forsaken. Can you say that, friend? We have not forsaken him. And then, in closing, friends, we have this. We have a divine vindication. Isn't that what we look for, friends? Wouldn't you be glad to belong to this church if you saw it divinely vindicated? You saw supernatural proof from above, the evidence that the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. That's what happened. In verse <clears throat> later on it says <clears throat> that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. A divine vindication. How did it happen? Just three things to close, friends. First of all, they cried out to the Lord. They looked back and behold, the battle was before and behind. They're in an impossible situation. They're surrounded. And they cried unto the Lord. You know, friends, we're surrounded these days as if we've got our backs to the wall. What's our future? How are we going to survive? We must cry to the Lord. We have to be desperate in our we must recognize our danger. Where will we be in 10 years' time, in 20 years' time? What will be in this church, friends? Well, they say the way things are going, there'll be no church. We must cry to the Lord. They cried because they knew their lives depended. They knew that they were finished unless God demonstrated his favor and support and presence with them against these others who claimed that they were the true Israel. They cried out to the Lord. Oh, friends, you need to get up in the night and cry to the Lord. You need to spend days crying to the Lord. Is he hearing our cries? A crying people. 
You go into town and you ask people there, oh, that continuing church, these are the people that are always crying to the Lord. Wouldn't that be wonderful? These are the people that know how to pray. These are the people that get answers. They cried out to the Lord. It's the only, it's the only remedy, friends. It's the only hope. But as well as that, friends, the priests blew the trumpets. In other words, the men of God blew the tr gospel trumpet with all their breath and with all their might. They proclaimed to friend and foe, we are declaring the glory of the everlasting God. Blow trumpets at blue moon, what time our feast appointed is. It was a commandment of God. But in the battle, they should blow the trumpets, and therefore they blew. And that shrill sound sent shivers through the armies of Cherubim. Oh, friends, the trumpet is there to waken us up, to keep us awake. You can't sleep when a trumpet is blowing. Let's pray for preaching that keeps us, wakens the dead. And thirdly, my friends, and lastly, the men of Judah shouted. Not just the priests, not just the king. Everybody shouted. Are you shouting, friends? The men of Judah shouted. It says that they gave a shout. It was one shout. It wasn't some crowd here and one crowd there saying this and this one saying this and this one saying this and all a different story. It was one great shout. How can that be? How could they all be united, there, friends? I'll tell you. I believe what they shouted was, Abijah! The Lord is our Father. And he looked after his children. He came to the help of his children. And they conquered. Friends, that's when God dismissed and overwhelmed those who had departed from the truth. But it will not happen. Unless we cry to the Lord, unless we blow the trumpet, unless we shout with complete unison and agreement, the Lord, he is God. We don't shout Abijah today. What Paul says is, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means you say, Jesus is the only authority. He is head. You declare the headship of Christ. That's what we declared in 2000 and have declared ever since. Jesus is head of his church. And his headship must be guarded against assemblies, presbyteries, ministers, and whoever 
Christ must reign till all his enemies be put under his feet. Let us pray. Gracious God, who reigns through thy Son, the Lord Jesus, may we have a shout to shout. May we know where we stand. May we be confident, not in ourselves, but in that the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.